0: done.
3: Oh, does it feel good to have football back? Oh, does it feel good to have the Ravens at 1 and 0? I'm Chris Collinsworth. I mean, I'm Antonio Barbera, and my hoarse voice is going to try to lead us in another episode of Pod
2: Like a Raven.
3: Yeah, so it's not quite as bad as Chris Collinsworth's voice was on Sunday night, but there's a good chance that about 30 minutes in here, uh, I'm going to start to strain and have my voice crack and just say less and have fewer hot takes. As I said in the intro, I am Antonio Barbera, and I am excited anyway to be discussing the Ravens' week one win against the New York Jets and discussing football in general. Results, touchdowns, horrible interceptions, uh, crazy results across the NFL, and I have my two co-hosts here to talk about it, starting on the West Coast with Jace Evans. Jace, I'm just stealing this from you, because you said this to me before we started, and now I'm going to say it back to you. The last time Pod like Raven had a win to talk about was November of 2021, and it is now, let me check the calendar, September of 2022. It's got to feel, got to feel, uh, pretty good to finally have a win to discuss as opposed to a loss or various rumblings about Lamar Jackson's contract in the offseason.
1: Oh, it's wonderful, Antonio. I was I was thinking about it as as the seconds ticked down as really the entire fourth quarter just sort of uh, happened uh, in this game cuz you know, the second the Ravens made this game, they win by a final of 24 to 9, but the second they make it 24 to 3, uh, that was kind of game over in my mind. And so you still have like a quarter and a half left and as you're inching towards the finish line, I was thinking, wow, this feels great. I, You know, it wasn't a perfect performance by the Ravens by any means. There were a lot of, I think, <laughs> concerning trend lines, or were they? We'll discuss that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, it's just good to celebrate a win. They haven't won in a long time, and they were supposed to win this game, and it was great. They kind of made it a, you know, not really... The dramatic affair, just kind of a business like uh, sort of afternoon, but it was still a great feeling uh, to leave and not be super stressed out at the end of this game. uh, Not not to lose by one point like they did so many times last year to just win, to win easily and then flip over to red zone and see all the hectic endings and go, ah, I don't have to deal with any of this. It was great. It was a wonderful feeling and a great start to the 2022 season.
3: Yeah, as the scores changed throughout the game, just doing the quick math on what situations could lead to a terrifying one-point loss somehow did they, it got further and further away from that as the game got along. It's yeah, nice to have just the the relaxing, dare I say, win against a bad team, which we had missed for uh, almost a year in Baltimore on the East Coast. Tim Horsey,
2: Tim Ravens one and zero.
3: How we feeling? Oh, we're feeling great, Antonio. That
2: would that should have been your Chris Collinsworth impression, <laughs> probably the most unlistenable um, <laughs> broadcast of all time. And we've had to listen to Dan Deardorff and and um, Dan Fouts throughout the years, and Collinsworth, who I actually like, and I know some people have um, you know more negative opinions on him. Just take take a day, buddy. Go drink some tea. You know, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm feel I'm feeling great. We've been talking a little bit pre-show. It is interesting. I think I think Jace just made a fantastic point there of ho-hum, the Ravens win. It definitely wasn't perfect. I was definitely um, all sorts of wound up at the beginning to the point where I was like, the people watching with me are probably annoyed that every time it was second and eight rather than second and four, I was like, fire Greg Roman. This team is terrible. But then all of a sudden you look and the score is 24-3, finishes 24-9, and, and the Ravens, unlike a lot of week one, didn't have to deal with some crazy stress. So it, it's nice to just... Get that win in. We're 1-0. It, the monkey is off the back, finally, for lack of a better term. And, yeah, hopefully, uh, long may it continue.
3: So, as I uh, mentioned last episode, but in case we have some new listeners or, or what have you, I was at at the game. I was in New York for this with some friends, uh, hence the reason for me being a little bit hoarse. And, uh, you know, you make the mistake. You, you, you try to get You get older. You get wiser. Uh, with some things, and then some things just stay the same, and I ha- I'm i struggling to learn that when I take these trips for road games, but get to the city on a Friday, I, I still kind of go, you know, you go to 11 on Friday night and the Saturday night, and then by Sunday, you're kind of struggling, and then you got a 1 p.m. kickoff, and then, you know, it's 9 a.m., and you're cracking the first bud light of the morning <laughs> and it's a little bit of a struggle. And then joined up at the tailgate with uh, some Jets fans. It was like a sort of a like a friend of a friend alumni situation. They were a very nice big group of, uh, of Jets fans that were very nice to us and let us hang out. And then it was like time to pack up and go. Uh, I don't know exactly what to me. It was like 12.15 and it's like alright guys time for like the last second shotgun before we go. And that's like not really my move and uh, you know the struggles continued as we walked all the way into the stadium. But after we got inside the stadium, the struggles ended with the Ravens winning 24-9 against the Joe Flacco-led Jets. Oh, boy. We're going to talk about Flacco and the Jets' offense later. Let's start with uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' offense. Um, you know, a, a bit of a scare leading up to this game with the news of, no, I mean, we kind of assume, no Ronnie Stanley uh, announced out. J.K. Dobbins announced out. Peters announced out. Boyle also out, so there's a little bit of little jitters there in terms of who exactly was going to be playing uh, and healthy. But what we did know to start this game is that the Ravens' offense was going to start sluggish and sloppy because we hadn't seen really any of the starters all preseason, and that's kind of what we got uh, until the offense and Lamar Jackson settled in. Uh, Guys, what did you think of sort of Lam, you know, Lamar Jackson's first game, first? glimpse getting uh, getting time with this Ravens offense and uh and how he settled in and, and they eventually got some points on the board in the second half
1: well I, I, I'm not gonna lie I started very concerned in this game it was uh and I think it was it's a holdover for me because it, it basically it looked like what we saw last year right it was like oh god this is here we go again you know first first quarter they run 15 plays they gain all of 45 yards not ideal They entered halftime with just 92 yards against the New York Jets, who, as we mentioned last show, made some improvements. They were the worst defense in the NFL last season. Um, So I was just really, really concerned early. The slow starts were just such a thing. Last year, they didn't score a touchdown in the first quarter in at least 10 games. They didn't this game. And I was just, like, really annoyed, uh, and really annoyed specifically at Greg Roman, um, personally, but that's
2: going to be a theme.
1: Yeah. He'll come back up. I have some more thoughts about him later, but, uh, I, you know, I, I, I thought obviously they settled down and the, the, the two drives out of halftime were just really, really impressive, um, to, to kind of put the game away effectively. You know, they go up 24 to three on back-to-back touchdown drives and they just sort of seal it there. Um, but I thought Lamar, uh, for his part, was great. And obviously, we don't want to get into it because it annoys us, frankly. This comes in the backdrop of reports about his contract that come out Sunday morning. Uh, he doesn't reach a deal Friday by his self-imposed deadline. And so then you're you're going into this game, and that's all they're talking about is his contract. And then you start, and you have 92 yards at halftime, and you're like, oh my god, what is this? But, he, I mean, he, he was throwing dimes. Uh All game, but like once he got rolling to to Devin DuVernay before halftime. Now that was a great catch by DuVernay too, but Lamar put it in a great spot. And then his two touchdowns in the second half were great. All three of his touchdowns traveled 20 air yards, which uh, was, I believe, the first time he's done that in his career for three TDs. Um, His 55-yard touchdown pass to Rashad Bateman um, was the second longest completion by air distances in his entire career. And the Ravens' first 50-yard play since 2020. So that was exciting to see. You know, we talked about just a lack of big plays and for Lamar to uncork one game one and kind of end that narrative, at least for now. That was nice. That was really nice to see. So I, I was impressed with him. Um, I was doubly impressed, I think, because, once again, there was a lot riding on him because of struggles with the offensive line and the running game specifically. So I was, I thought Lamar was great. Yeah. Um, just to overcome all those issues and, and, you know, overcome a slow start. He didn't play a second preseason and, you know, you'd probably love more than 24 points against the Jets, but I thought he took care of business and did what he had to do. And obviously the interceptions a non-factor. So yeah, I was, I, I was great. Uh, I thought his performance was great, honestly. Uh, once, once pretty much after the first quarter.
2: Yeah. If we're just sticking on Lamar here before the, for the wider offense in general, um, yeah, I thought he, I thought it was a good rebounding situation. I think it's it's funny that I think the narrative is kind of switching back to hey, maybe these guys should be playing at least a little bit of preseason rather than just not at all because this that first half looked like preseason. It just kind of looked out of sync, um, and then they clicked and they started finding they started finding their rhythm, which I thought was nice. Um, and then just you know I, before we get to the wider offense in general, and I'm sure Antonio, you have takes on Lamar as well. I think it's hilarious that the Bateman touchdown, everybody just goes, oh, man, Lamar can really sling it. Like, I had a friend at work today that was like, man, that was a pinpoint ball from Lamar. Like, have you guys not – are you literally just watching clips from, like, Twitter handles that are, like, at Lamar is ARB? Like, (laughs) what are we doing here? Everybody knows the man can throw the ball. Everybody knows the man can throw a deep ball. And so that pass hit, and obviously you're excited, 50-yard bomb – you know the Ravens making big plays which we didn't see last year of course but I wasn't like oh my god Lamar Jackson can throw now like we all knew this and and frankly I mean Bateman was wide open I was more impressed with the DuVernay the first DuVernay touchdown where he I believe it was Sarah Ellison on Twitter said he had like 0.1 yards of separation which was the smallest uh for a touchdown this this season apologies for butchering that stat he threw it in in a pinhole we'll just put it that way and Duvarnay made a nice play we're gonna get to him uh more because I'm gonna take a victory lap but uh yeah I, I thought he was I thought he was a bit up and down but it was nice that it trended upwards uh rather than just kind of sporadic all over the place throughout the game yeah, really nice touch on a pass to Andrews as well in the second mm-hmm. half on a
3: third down, a nice lofted ball. The thing I noticed from the stands is I, and, you know, a little embarrassed by this, but I caught myself yelling run a few too many times because there just seemed to be plays where he went like first read, second read, and I was like, all right, t- like time to go, and it looked like there'd be space for him, and I was just waiting for him to sort of make plays and break tackles and we saw very little of that and i feel like this has happened numerous seasons early in the year where he is kind of insistent on i'm not going to say like showing that he is a quarterback i don't think it's it's such a conscious decision but a little you know a little more about getting to the third read about letting the play develop about staying in the pocket uh and then i guess by midseason once enough offensive linemen are hurt then he realizes that he needs to run around and scramble more so You know, he didn't have a lot on the ground. Six carries for 17 yards. Didn't seem to look for it a ton. I'd be curious to see if that changes uh, as the season goes along because that is what kind of makes him impossible to defend. Uh, And with him staying in the pocket a little bit, I thought they were, you know, just sort of giving half of of what his abilities are. And then as this was happening, one of the Jets fans sitting next to me, and this is in the first half, yelled at, or maybe early second half, yelled out like, oh, the... And this guy wanted $250 million guaranteed. So this is how much this, like, topic has trickled into, like, the average just NFL fan. And then about two plays after he said that was Lamar's, like, third and eight run where he ran around and by and between, like, 12 different guys and down the sideline for a first down. And then from there just, like, clicked and found receivers and scored points. So thank you to that Jets fan for kind of officially, like, juju turning the the tide for this Ravens offense. But I hate to say I want to see more running from Lamar. Like, I want that just sort of elusiveness, but at least good to see the 50-yard play, as, as Jace mentioned. Um, the rest of the offense. Some some <laughs> issues. Some issues there that we talked about in the offseason that has not been addressed week one, at least, and that is the run game and the offensive line. Guys, Edgar Allen Poe scale. Uh... What is the what is the concern level here in terms of from a scale of Edgar to Edgar Allan Poe of like, is this gonna get fixed? Do they just not have the personnel, or is it going to take everybody being healthy, and by everybody, I guess I mean Ronnie Stanley, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards all in the fold before this actually can get fixed.
2: I love I love how you mention, first of all, poor Poe just getting dumped on. He's the mm. worst the worst level of our panic, and then also the man who's dealing with a, an ACL. He's the least athletic of the three, so that's <laughs> yeah, the worst. That oh, poor Poe. Um, for the offensive line slash run game, I'm going to go Like I'm, I'm almost at Poe, but I'm not quite at Poe. I'm still more on at like a two and a half out of our, our three-point scale here. Um, obviously, Juwan James, if you didn't know, is injured. He's out for the year again. I th- I, was it another Achilles tear? Just such a... So it probably is his career, um, and that's really, really unfortunate for for the player um, who was just getting back. And now Patrick McCurry, who I thought was pretty well, pretty good, and again, somebody that we mentioned as a guy that needs uh, to play as a starter, especially with Ronnie Stanley out, is going to get the chance to step up against against the likes of, I believe, it's Melvin Ingram and some other guys on that uh, Dolphins defensive line, which we'll prepare uh, talk about later. Um, but... It was just stale. You know, I think it, the, it was funny because the narrative nationally anyway was, well, the Ravens are really going to get back to running the ball. That 2019 Ravens team that saw Lamar Jackson win the the National Football League most valuable player, and they're going to do all this, this run down your throat because they don't have the receivers to throw to thing. And they just couldn't. They could not move Quinn and Williams in that Jets defense. And as Jace mentioned, not a very good defense uh, in general. Um, I thought Tyler Linderbaum was – pretty good Uh, pass protection one-on-one we all knew that's kind of where he would struggle anyway and he did against Quinn and Williams who was far and away their best player Um, you know and and there was just wasn't the holes you know John Harbaugh mentioned earlier uh, in his press conference on Monday that Kenyon Drake still a good running back still young enough that quote he has a lot of juice left but he was still learning the offense and you could see he got more comfortable sure fine why not but I but I think there is a there was a and, you know, not to insult the, the the former player, but there's a lot of Devontae Freeman stink where it's just like most everything is two, two and a half, three yards. And it's just like, all right, what, what are we doing here? And I don't know how much you blame that on Drake not hitting the holes, how much you blame the offensive line, the holes not being there as well. But it was a concerningly mediocre performance. And if we're going to sit here and say. Well, once JK comes back, a man who literally didn't play last season because of an ACL injury, once he comes back, we are immediately fine. I think that I think that's a bit ridiculous, frankly. I don't think that that's uh, necessarily something that's going gonna happen. Um, and I think the thing that really concerns me, and you can listen to smarter football people break these things down, but I think the thing that really concerns me is. Let's say J.K. and Gus Edwards are back fully healthy by – fully healthy, not just back, but fully healthy, fully playing. We're not seeing Kenyon Drake, Justice Hill, what have you, by what, week eight? You know, if, for both of them to be there. You know, the Ravens might be in a hole at that point. And I'm not saying they will. I think they're a very good team. But to just sit here and just kind of be like, oh, don't worry. It'll be fine when the, the guys return, the guys who literally didn't play last season. I think you're – putting a lot of pressure and and you're putting a lot of faith into into two players who we just don't know how they're going to come off of ACL injuries
1: I, I think that's why you know the injury the inactives come out before the game and you know as excited as I get for every Ravens season I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't a little bummed seeing all these star players we talked about when will they come back None of them were back, and this injury problem is just lingering into this season, and I think it's obviously, you know, it's most obvious in the run game with Ronnie Stanley, JK, and Gus Edwards, and yeah, I'm with Tim. I I think, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into the Poe territory, but I, I think I'm an, an Edgar Allen P on this, because it's like, now you're just like playing the waiting game now, and you know, this is two years in a row with your your tackle situation where you're basically in the exact same place you were, uh, unfortunately, this time last year after, you know, Stanley plays one game and goes down. Jawan James, as Tim said, uh, just heartbreaking injury. Um, but he was your insurance for Stanley, and now he's gone. And so now you're at your third string left tackle. It's week two, and you're kind of just like – your hopes for the season of maybe improving – your run game, at least this is a, what seems like they're hap- banking on, is just like hopefully Ronnie Stanley feels like he can play soon, and you know that's a tough place to be. Who knows when that's going to happen? I don't know if I'm Stanley Oliver feel right. You know he snapped his ankle in half. How could you ever feel a hundred percent after doing that? So I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm definitely concerned, and I and I think even bigger concern. I mean, the line is such a huge problem, but uh, I think for me, I still circle back to, like, this is my thesis on the Ravens offense, and I don't know, you know, if, if, uh, if I'm overreacting to week one. It could be the answer was just, it's rust. None of these guys really played in the preseason. Linderbaum played his first game in the NFL. But if Greg Roman's your offensive coordinator and you can't successfully run the ball, Like, what are you doing? What are you doing as an offense? Like, there's teams that have awful, um, not awful, that's a harsh word, but not great running backs that get production. Like, it doesn't matter who the San Francisco 49ers running back is. They just get yards because Kyle Shanahan creates it. And if Roman's like this run game genius everyone claims he is, where's the yards? Someone has to figure it out and... I know this it's just such an underwhelming collection of running backs too. I mean Drake you pull him off the street like the week before basically and he's your RB1.
2: When Mike he, Davis was the guy that was supposed to be the starter according to the depth charts and then just doesn't then just play.
1: Isn't. And his one run, he has the long run of the day, 10 yards, he fumbles. We're not going to see him again right. uh, on that. He fumbled the literally the play before I believe Lamar's 55-yard touchdown, so that could have, you know, changed the game. Chase, um,
3: I, just quickly, I've never seen a player who fumbled as aggressively get the ball back after fumbling, <laughs> and it just it just screamed like, if I don't get this ball, like Harbaugh's putting me in the doghouse for two months, and, and so now it'll only be one month as of you know because he was able to actually get the ball he, back.
1: He put the he put the effort in. He, he yeah. worked hard for it. Uh,
3: yeah, sorry. Please continue because this is the talking point. This Greg Roman aspect is something that we've been talking about for. Dare I say years? Uh, like the the gauntlet was thrown down for him at the start of the season when he wasn't gonna have his like superstar running backs uh, healthy and starting. And so we're you, you, you're you're at and Poe with with Greg Roman at least. Let's say.
1: Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. But like the the thing I kept circling back to, and this thought just popped into my head last night after watching. I watched highlights of every single game on top of you know watching a lot of these games live. I went back, I looked at highlights of every single one, and just. Everything the Ravens do is so hard on offense. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a struggle. And, you know, I just circle back to 2019, the greatest season, regular season of our lives. It was such a joy. It was great doing this show. Every, had a win to talk about every single 14 weeks out of 16 weeks. Uh, It was just defined by everything came so easily. They were putting up 40 points week after week after week. There was that game against the Rams. They didn't lose the yards on a single play against the Rams. That team had Aaron Donald. That team went to like the playoffs, I believe. Um, Just everything was so easy in 2019. And then like everything, we saw smatterings of this in 2020, but really since last season, when these injuries started, everything's just been so hard. And it just seems so clear to me that, that Greg Roman doesn't seem to have the answers, and I think what's frustrating is you 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 have, and this is probably why he is worth the money because you're you with this offense, you ask Lamar Jackson, he has to be basically extraordinary for the Ravens to get league average results. Like they should have scored a lot more than twenty four points against the New York Jets, uh, the way the Jets were playing on Sunday, and. You know, I thought they turned it on, so is it just rust? Maybe I'm overreacting. But I think it's just the accumulation of, it just looks so similar to last year. It was just really disheartening. And especially with, like, the line and the running back room, you're just like, oh, we're just here again. We're just hoping guys come back. And, you know, at least the difference this year is there is the hope they come back. But, you know, I think we've seen around the NFL, like, I don't, and I think Tim, you mentioned this. Who knows how good they come back? And so, like, they might not be effective, and I feel like it's just kind of spinning the wheels with the run game for a second straight year, and the OC doesn't have the answers for it.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's very well put. (laughs) You know, can we hope that, you know, there was a tweet. I don't even, I don't remember who it was. I'm sorry, but J.K. Dobbins, like, was, like, mad that he wasn't active, was, like, dying to be active. Ian Rappaport. Rappaport, it felt like he's. I feel like every conversation we've had about him, he thinks he's three weeks ahead of what the rest <laughs> of the team thinks. I think the rain may have played a factor in a lot of these decision makings. Harbaugh, he didn't say this with Boyle, but he kind of tiptoed around it with him too, where he was like, "We're gonna, we're gonna activate Boyle, like depending on the circumstances, which maybe means like what other tight ends are available. Maybe it means I don't want him slipping. I don't want him playing on." I mean, Harbaugh called it AstroTurf. I don't know if it actually is AstroTurf that the Jets had, but can we hope that J.K. Dobbins is close if he constantly thinks that he's ready to go, ready to go, ready to go? You know what helps an average coordinator is a guy who breaks tackles on every play and averages a ton of yards and has done it consistently whenever he's been given the ball in, in Baltimore. Other than that, yeah. I mean, the tests are going to start coming quick and fast. You know, you had the 32nd defense in the league week one. They're going to get better and better as the season progresses and as you get into the second half of this year with the AFC North uh, opponents that you're going to face. Pittsburgh D looked pretty good week one, uh, and they're coming in the second half of the season when hopefully you get healthy players back. But this point with Roman is certainly well taken. Uh, Everyone knows it. He knows it. And this is the last season for him to kind of figure things out and, and prove things. Anything else offensively, guys, before we turn uh, to the defensive side?
2: Yeah, real quickly, and just on that note, I think it should be emphasized again. I mean, Antonio, you mentioned, hey, having a superstar running back. One, JK is not a superstar yet. We don't know. We saw flashes of it, and it hasn't been consistent. But two, I think the point that Jace had was that, you know, and, and think of, you know I think of the Shanahan era as well with Mike Shanahan and the Broncos back in the day. <laughs> You don't even know the name of the running back, and that dude's getting a thousand yards, and 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 that's kind of the same. That's kind of what Greg Roman's been all about too, and you know it needs to show. But I think it, I worry, and I really, really don't want to do this all season, but it seems like we're going to. Is it? It got stale, and Roman will not adjust because he's stubborn. But we'll have to see. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned it before. I'm going to take a victory lap on Devin duvarney I think <laughs> that. I think that. He finally got some opportunities to show what he's capable of as a wide receiver, as a weapon in space on the offensive side of the ball, not just on special teams, and he made the most of it. Two touchdowns, an incredible catch on the first touchdown, uh, was targeted four times, caught all four of those balls. I think the, the distribution was pretty even as well, which you love to see. You know, Mark Andrews, seven targets. Demarcus Robinson and Devin DuVernay, four targets. Rashad Bateman, five targets. Isaiah Likely, four targets, didn't catch any of them. That's, that's one thing we'll get to in just a second here. But I think Devin DuVarnay, by the end of the season, we're gonna, everybody's going to be going, and the national media won't because they hate the Ravens, and I don't care. I, I'll say it. Uh, I think that the, people are going to be like, we underrated this group, and the Ravens kind of knew what they had. I mentioned it last week on Pod like a Raven here. Devin DuVarnay is a key weapon for this team, and a guy that John Harbaugh was super pumped to have. If you remember in the draft room, literally, they show like Harbaugh's live draft room as the pick's coming in, and he's fist-bumping that DuVernay was still sitting there in the third round uh, in 2019, I believe it was, when he got picked, or maybe 2020. Um, I'm just – I love that guy, and I think that he is going to be a weapon for the Ravens this season. I really do. On the other hand, on the offensive side of the ball, Isaiah Likely, um, he's teetering closer to the James Prochet meter. I rewatched the highlights this morning. Like I said, four targets – by my count, there were two that he should have pulled in at least. Um, and do we see less of him? Maybe. And that would, for a team that needs weapons, and another thing I've been beating all, all offseason is that they don't necessarily need all the wide receivers because they have all these tight ends. Well, likely is a big part of that, and he wasn't a big part Sunday. So let's hope he turns that around
1: speaking of guys who didn't see the field a lot just should mention our favorite guy on this program james Prochet, was given five offensive snaps so yeah. lol let's never talk about james Prochet the preseason ever again uh i'm sure we'll do it next year uh the only final offensive thing that drove me actually more insane than just the lack of being able to run was just the ravens are doing that thing where they break the huddle way too late Over and over and over again. And I think this is also a Greg Roman related problem because uh, Harbaugh kind of, he didn't say it, but he heavily implied it in comments he made Sunday um, and today, Monday as we record, Harbaugh, uh, you know, he acknowledged the problem. He said Sunday Lamar handled, quote, some lengthy play calls that we dealt with and before adding Monday that the Ravens, quote, need to operate a little quicker and said they're looking at, quote, Tightening up some of the play calls, which you know in my mind is a thing they should have spent the off season doing, but I guess you have to see how long this takes them in a game, which is too long they get a they it's just repeatedly under ten seconds you have no time to audible, you run a play, and I think that contributes in part to some of their problems because you're basically you're stuck in the play, and if like the opponent figures out kind of what you're trying to do, they're gonna have some answers so. Um, they need to figure that out <laughs> ASAP, and hopefully that uh, that's just a very frustrating thing. And I, if they do that every week again, I'm going to lose my mind.
3: <laughs> yeah, Jace, you know, apparently you can't, like, have a 40-second clock until the season starts. Like, there's no way for you to be able to practice counting down from 40 all summer uh, until you get to week one and it starts to happen. Every one of their plays seem—I mean, I, I don't know this officially, but it seems like every one of their plays requires at least one person in motion pre-snap. That also takes time. It is ridiculously inexcusable that they haven't figured out how to break the huddle sooner, so that they have time to, first of all, do all the motion that they do on every play, and also have any sort of ability to read... You know what's going to make your quarterback get better at reading offenses in the passing game? Having time to look at them and, and actually, like, process where they're lined up and what they're likely to do next. It's infuriating that they haven't figured this out. Jace's text uh, in, the, in the pod, like a Raven text thread, was fantastic. I can't, I don't, I didn't pull it up. But it was basically like, I'm going to stroke out it by midseason if this keeps happening. Like, we shouldn't have known this, like, going into it and yet immediately have it be an issue week one uh, of the season. The one thing I will say, as being in the stadium, the Jets, uh, as a couple of other stadiums have done, they're really, really, you know, quote-unquote, bad at not cutting out the music once the offensive team, the road offense, has broken the huddle. (laughs) So, you know, that kept malfunctioning to the point where I would say 60% of the time the Ravens were already lined up and they still had this, like, ridiculous, like, EDM music, like, still (laughs) blasting. Didn't need to hear that. Just getting your Jersey
2: Shore fist pumps in the entire time. Is that what you're doing? (sighs) Huh.
3: But, yeah. Here's a test for the Ravens offense. Home game next week. Let's see how they break the huddle when, you know, they literally have a sign up that says, "quiet offense at work, you know, please be quiet. Oh, boy. All right. Let's talk about some positive stuff that we saw. And that was on the defensive side. A lot of good things here. Number one, it was going against Joe Flacco. Uh... But the Jets have some strong skill position players. They have some exciting rookies on that side of the ball. But the Ravens defensively set the tone early, set the tone in the middle of this game, kept the tone through almost the final whistle. Guys, what, I you know, I, I'm going to let Tim go first here. Tim, which line of the defense was most impressive to you in this uh, week one matchup?
2: Oh, I'm taking another victory lap because I said it last week. Justin Matabuke is that dude. He is that dude. Dude, I'm not, I'm not normally right on this program or about anything in life. I was right about this. Justin Matabuke ate the interior offensive line for the Jets up for lunch. Every single play he's in the backfield. He's disrupting Joe Flacco. He's getting in the face of the running back. They're trying to double him at some point. I loved the aggressive nature that both he and, it should be mentioned, Michael Pierce played with as well. A guy that I had a, some concerns about because of his lack of playing time recently he came out firing i thought that defensive line man oh there's obviously another person that we need to talk about too another uh debutante for the ravens but i'll let one of you two take that and feed off of you because justin matabuke deserves his own shine his own line light if you look at the stats i don't even think that he finished as an interior defensive lineman with five tackles and a half a sack hit the quarterback once and one tackle for loss but you could just see from moment 1 i'm sitting there uh, watching with a bunch of friends and again they're probably super annoyed that i'm talking about a, like basically a defensive tackle 3 technique and they're like i, I want to watch the receivers play and i'm just like look at this dude on the d line That's not everybody. That was a generalization. But look at this guy. He is more fun than Marlon Humphrey, than Marcus Williams, than Garrett Wilson, than on our side of the ball, Rashad Bateman, than maybe even Lamar Jackson sometimes. And no, I'm not biased. He was blowing things up. And it was just the the general pressure that 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 Ravens defense was constantly getting on the Jets. And it's the Jets, I know. But you can only play who's in front of you, yada, 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 I thought was – was great. the only concern I really have, and this comes uh, from Spencer Schultz on Twitter at Ravens for dummies. Give him a follow really, really good follow if you're a Ravens fan. Uh, the Blitzing party is still here for the Baltimore Ravens and this is a he actually cites uh, PFF pro football focus here. so according to PFF, McDonald blitz Flacco seventeen times. Those resulted in two sacks and six pressures, but he also went thirteen for fifteen for one hundred and twenty six yards. So the blitzing. It actually produced sacks. Crazy, I know. The Ravens are getting after the quarterback a little bit, but maybe, maybe McDonald makes some adjustments. Maybe he's not so one note like old Wink. But yeah, that defensive line, man, and the pressure that they were getting on on old Smoke and Joe, I thought was is absolutely incredible.
1: And it was just really encouraging because of all the the issues we sort of cited, especially outside linebacker. Uh, they're not probably creating a lot of pressure, and Adafi Owe was actually pretty quiet this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see that pressure, I was happy for you, Tim, about just about a I'll admit, I'll hand up. I, I, I've been skeptical of your, your claims of greatness for him. I don't know if I've expressed them, but, uh, you know, he showed flashes, but if he can be this every week, now that's really exciting. And I completely agree with you. Michael Pierce was a signing. I was very eh on, I, I didn't get very excited, but he looked awesome, uh, against the Jets too. And, uh, yeah. Just and this doesn't even account, you know. Travis Jones didn't play. He's supposed to come back at some point. They're really deep at defensive line, and that's that's really exciting. And um, I mean, I mean, sort of, I guess, just a few guys that that shined for me. Uh, sort of related to pass rush was obviously Justin Houston. He looked great um, coming off the edge. Uh, he he had a sack and created a bunch of pressure, and he was just. In the mix, and Patrick Queen had a he was heavily involved in those blitzing. Tim mentioned, uh, I thought he you roll your eyes, Tim. I thought he played well. <laughs> plenty t-
2: he may—he missed a few tackles. And,
1: well, and, sure, that yeah. was if we're going to say the a problem, I wrote down on my notepad, still missing tackles was uh mm-hmm. the biggest problem the defense had. That still reared its head on a few occasions. Um, uh, but I thought he played well, and then obviously, the big name, the one we have to talk about, I think, the most. The one that excited me the most, personally, Marcus Williams. Uh, Ravens debut, led the team in tackles. Interception of Joe Flacco early in the game that led to a field goal. Um, on the pick, he said, quote, It's something I do all the time, so I'm not really surprised at myself. I mean, you may be surprised, but it's just what I do. I love that. This is. I wrote down, this is why they got him on my notepad when he got this interception. It was just for a team that was so struggled to get turnovers last year to go out and sign this guy to a huge free agent deal. And for him to like basically immediately be your most impactful player in the game was really exciting. And I think, you know, he's probably not going to lead the team in tackles and have a pick every single game. Cause that would be an NFL record, but uh, you know, he's still, it still was really exciting to see. So uh, I thought a great start for him and I, I, just the secondary as a whole, I thought looked good. And again, All this with the caveat, it's against the Jets.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's perfect that you say uh, it's against the Jets as uh, a capper there, Jace. I don't have a ton to add in terms of the defensive performance. A lot of good play. I think Kyle Hamilton we got to talk about a little bit. A little bit of a mixed bag for me. They played him in the box a lot. Uh, He got absolutely roasted, toasted, just left on the griddle, I don't know, by Garrett Wilson twice on one play in open space. That was not great, but uh, when you mentioned about the Jets, uh, Jace, I, you know, I, they're not good. Their defense was bad last year. I think their offense was bad in this game and maybe continuing to be bad until they get Zach Wilson and these rookies get some sort of chemistry with each other, the skill position guys they have, but I took a poll with the group that I went to the game with because I was shocked when I saw it in the box score. <laughs> I asked the group, Uh, for how many yards they thought Joe Flacco threw for in this game. And one of them said, like, 180. The other one said 210. I think the highest maybe was 220, which is kind of where I would have gone. Joe Flacco. Definitely pull it up ahead in front. 37 for 59 for 307 yards.
2: 59 Uh, times.
3: And that's kind of what this Jets offense was. Like, they were getting yards when it didn't really matter. Uh, making plays after they were blown out, I saw a lot of, like... I mean, man, you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but a lot of celebrations when, like, they would gain... So, for example, on that Garrett Wilson play, yeah, it was a nice catch. He burned dudes. It was 3rd and 10, and he got 9 yards. It was 4th down. They had to punt, and he was, like, running around, jumping up and down, celebrating as he walked to the sidelines so that the Jets could punt on 4th and 1. That happened a bunch, and that's just kind of what this Jets team is, which... You know, I want to get excited about what was in the end a dominating performance, but this Jets team is just so bad. I mean, a lot of drops, mental mistakes, fumbles. They missed a field goal and an extra point. Their punter kicked a ball, like, into the stands.
1: Twenty yeah. In a stadium <laughs> where the
3: stands are not close to the sidelines. I think it was a 20-yard punt that gave the Ravens really good field position. It was just... Every, like, mistake and sloppiness of, like, a bad team, a badly run, badly coached, you know, team that doesn't have a lot of top players. Uh, so I'm a little, you know, I don't know how much to take away. I want to take away all the positives and say that all the negatives are going to get fixed over time. You know, they was just rust. They're going to fix it. But I'm kind of in between here with just how bad this Jets team was and how bad this Jets offense looked. With Joe Flacco, we got to pour one out for... That and Joe Flacco
2: didn't quite have the magic to uh, have the revenge game against the Ravens. Yeah, that's fine. I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel bad for him. He's got, he's got plenty of money. Um, I would say on Kyle Hamilton just quickly, um, because I was very impressed with the defense. I think throughout this, you know, we talked about our offensive concerns, and there's some really, you know, glaring holes. This was a performance that made me think are we going to go back to being like a dominant defense again? Because we haven't been in a very long time. Even though you can listen to any idiot on ESPN that goes purple Jersey, good at defense, not really true for a long time. And you know, look, I get the opponent thing and that's why we keep saying it because the jets are that bad, but you have to be encouraged with the amount of weapons that we talked about on this team and the Ravens were really able to shut them down. Um, Kyle Hamilton. I met an Edgar Al because it's still very early. Obviously, only one professional game in the regular season for him, but just kind of seems a step slow. You know, very Patrick Queenie in that way uh, in his rookie season, like just behind everything and not really making an impact like you'd like. So, I don't know. We'll have, to, we'll have to see. And, you know, the jury's still out. I'm not burying him quite yet. That's why it's still very early on the scale. But, um, yeah, we need, we need to see – you know, by that halfway through the season or whatever, I would like to see a significant increase in the quality of his play uh, for us to be, you know, kind of excited about the future of the Notre Dame product.
1: That's fair. Uh, yeah, I I wasn't like impressed with him, but I, he didn't stand out much, which I guess is the worry for a guy you, right. that can be a game changer. Uh, but yeah, on the whole, I, I was impressed. I mean, the Jets went two for 14 on third down. Uh, so, you know, Raven's getting off the field and those two didn't come until the fourth quarter. So that was pleasant to see. I guess we kind of mentioned Jawan James. We should just mention, I guess, here, uh, big, maybe big concern. I don't think it's the hugest concern, but it just really sucks for him is Kyle Fuller uh, is out for the year with an ACL injury. He injured his knee late. He did play a ton in the secondary. Team.
2: Always gets hurt, man. Always, and always he played on this team.
1: Eighty of eighty-four snaps. I, I do. I agree with you, Tim. I think they're better equipped to handle his absence, but it still is just week one. It hurts to lose a guy. You don't have Marcus Peters back yet, and um, so like that's a bummer. And he hadn't missed a game since 2017 <laughs> uh, due to injury. I think he missed one game last year because of COVID, but. Um, He hadn't missed a game due to injury in like five years, and he tears his ACL week one after playing 80 snaps of 84 snaps. So he was going to figure in prominently, and he's you know Baltimore native, right? So it's just a really big bummer uh, to lose him. But I do think uh, one other guy I just kind of want to mention that Jeff Zarebic kind of mentioned probably is the guy elevated in his place, who I thought played really well on Sunday, is Brandon Stevens. Mm -hmm. I was impressed with his play. And you know this certainly it sucks why, but it will give him even more opportunity, you figure, um, and some of the rookies too who we didn't really see at all i don 't think so um, so that's, that's that's hopefully you know he can kind of hold down fuller spot in a way, Stevens, but I thought he was I thought he was impressive. he kept points off the board with one of his past breakups, and I thought he just played a really strong game, and that's what you want to see for what I believe is only what a second year player right so yeah. um, yeah, so I, I was impressed with him, too, and it, it, they'll they'll be relying on him now that Fuller's out uh, as well.
2: Yeah, hi- highly criticized draft pick at the time, Brandon Stevens, as well, out of SMU, like running back who had to transfer and move positions, and now he's going to be, with Marcus Peters still out, uh, at least we assume, in week two, he's going to be your starting corner outside of, with Marlon Humphrey, so a big opportunity for him. I think it hurts the Ravens a little bit because he is much more of a hybrid player, much more of a safety-slash-corner. But you get helped on the other end because you have three safeties. Uh, Chuck Clark, a guy that we should mention that had another fantastic performance and I bet was motivated a little bit by a first-round pick at his position coming in. So the fact that they have the three safeties um, kind of frees up Stevens to play a little bit more. And then you just hope that, you know, Jalen Armour-Davis, who has a vast injury history as well. That's why he went so late in this draft. Pepe Williams, they're going to have to step up now because, yet again, the Ravens are depleted at corner and even with Peters coming back, you know, he's coming back from an ACL injury and he's an older player. That's never a guarantee that he's going to be an instant success.
3: Yeah. It, it took one game and yep. we're already kind of on our heels in the secondary and playing a team that has Terry Kale and Jalen Waddle next week. So a, a quick, a quick test of the depth that the Ravens prioritized this off season, you know, yeah, you know, we we analyzed the game guys. We uh we try to read through the scoreline, but at the end of the day, a good first win for the Ravens, a dominant performance in a game that should have been this much of a of a lopsided game if not more, but points on the board, good. Didn't give up a lot of points, good. The only touchdown that they gave up was like absolute flacco garbage time perfection. Uh and the Ravens start the year 1-0. going to do it for this game uh we're going to do the random raven and then turn to uh the nfl before a little uh, little preview of the dolphins game so tim you are up this week so who do you have for us
2: yeah i want to shout out a co-worker of mine andy snikovsky who we were we were producing a show together and he mentioned this name and was like yeah i can't believe he played for the ravens and i was like he 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 played for the ravens and i had to look it up um so I believe in your ability to get this one, but we'll have to see. I, I, I think I stumped you both last time. I had random Ravens. so let's see if I can go two and zero here in the past couple of times. All right. Clue number one: This player played for eleven seasons in the National Football League with four different teams. He spent one season in Baltimore. Clue number two: This University of Utah product spent two seasons in Miami before moving to the Orlando Thunder of the World League of American Football, before returning back to the NFL in 1994. Clue number three. I know it's very vague, I apologize. This player ranks third all-time in passing yards for an NFC North team. And he also ranks 23rd in career passing yards for the Ravens. With 236 total
0: yards.
2: (laughs) 23rd all-time, 236 total yards. Clue number four. This player wore the same number that Joe Flacco now wears with the Jets. Very weird seeing him and not the number five. And Jace Jace just might have had an epiphany. Here's clue number five. This is a direct quote from the Wikipedia page about this player, and I just thought it was hysterical giving the context. Quote, After not being able to acquire Brad Johnson from the Minnesota Vikings, the Ravens settled for this random Raven, who signed a one-year, $3 million contract upon his arrival in Baltimore. He then completed 24 of 56 passes for those 236 yards I mentioned, Threw a touchdown pass and was intercepted four times before being replaced <laughs> by Stony Case as the starting oh, quarterback God. during the third quarter of a 23-20 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Week Two game at PSI Net Stadium. That was the Ravens Stadium for you young kids on September 19th. So he legitimately lasted a game and three quarters as the Ravens starter before he was benched for Stony Case. That is your random Raven. Those are all your clues there.
1: I have two names. What I think I might have it, but I don't, I mean, I have no memories of this guy. But. I was
2: stunned that this guy, because like, this is a guy, and this might, maybe this helps you. I knew this player. Like, I knew this player. No concept of him playing for the Ravens. Not not one shred of memory of him playing for the Ravens.
1: Is it sad? My immediate thought was the Ravens would have won three straight Super Bowls with that defense if they had Brad Johnson. <laughs> he, he would did have been in, such an upgrade over he what did they had. did it in Tampa.
3: The perfect game manager. Uh, the Tim, what was the, the third? You said third in passing yards. Was that an NFC North team for or an, an AFC?
2: For an NFC North team, National Football Conference.
1: I have two names. One, I don't actually know if he played for the (laughs) Ravens.
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm... As I was at around twelve thirty yesterday Sunday, I'm struggling with uh, a name, a name right now for for this random Raven. But that's the point. All right, let's move to uh, the NFL guys and we're sort of gonna you know week in week out we're gonna maybe play with the with the format here and 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 figure out exactly what the listeners want to hear from us about the nfl um but for this week we're just going to go around the horn what is something you want to go over what's your sort of storyline the thing that you're most interested in maybe what's bothering you that's what what i'm gonna get into this time when we get to my my turn here in this section but uh you know start with tim uh what is your uh sort of top NFL storyline that you want to go over this week.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I think it was a very entertaining week as a neutral football fan outside of the Ravens. Um, And I have mentioned before, I do technically have a second team, although I wouldn't even consider them a second team because when I was a kid, my mom's boss got me a jersey, a Troy Aikman jersey, and I can officially say, the Cowboys are dead. They are completely dead. That, That franchise needs to be blown up from from the base down, Dak Prescott is now out for what six to eight weeks for basically high fiving a helmet. I believe is what happened with with his thumb injury. I'll admit I had to go back and watch the highlights of this game because I had I fell asleep and I couldn't stand listening to Chris Collinsworth in his forced voice for for three and a half hours or whatever it is. Nineteen to three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football. Stop putting them in prime time. Nobody cares about Cooper Rush. The only person that cares about Ezekiel Elliott is Jason and I because he's on our fantasy team. <laughs> and I think basically the, the Podlick Raven fantasy team want to know, by the way, um, I I just there is something inherently wrong with a franchise that is covered so much that is that bad and i think if they were just middling and i get like from a ratings point of view you have to talk about the cowboys because it's it's the thing that's going to pull numbers and that's what the executives want to hear like the three of us are all in media we all understand how this works as unfortunate as it is but i would be happy even as a neutral to never hear about the dallas cowboys ever again because they're just they're not going anywhere and they're not they're not any good And CeeDee Lamb doesn't look like a number one receiver. Cooper Rush is going to be throwing the damn ball now, so that's definitely not going to happen. The defense outside of Micah Parsons is is bad. Trayvon Diggs last year getting like 11 picks was also getting burned the most, like had the most yardage given up against the corner, but they wanted him to win defensive player of the year, which makes absolutely no sense to me because interceptions are kind of a luck number anyway a lot of the time. Um, Yeah, the Cowboys, there's a lot of things to talk about, and I definitely want to talk about more. But if I kind of... I was thinking about my big overreaction, because week one, this is what we do. We're supposed to overreact on on week one. We're supposed to be like, you know, Buccaneers, Super Bowl team, the Buffalo Bills, best team ever, question mark, after their dominant performance against the Rams. You're supposed to have a little bit of fun with this, and I know a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But for me, I'm going the opposite. Cowboys,
1: Dead. That was actually, for me, uh, my—I think that's the big storyline of the week because they looked awful, Tim, uh, before Prescott got hurt. He got hurt late in the game, yeah. and they, the score was 19-3 to at the time. Like, the Bucks were just handing in their lunch. The Bucs didn't even play that well. They couldn't score. They scored one touchdown all night, and the Cowboys just had zero answers. And I thought the Cowboys' hate, quote-unquote, of people being, just kind of anointing the Eagles in that division was a little premature because, you know, the Cowboys have been the number one offense in the NFL two years in a row. Yes, they traded Amari Cooper for no reason. But I was like, ah, eh, it can't be that bad. Then Tyron Smith gets hurt. And you're like, uh-oh. You now have two new starting left tackles, or starting tackles. Uh, you don't have Amari Cooper. This is trending poorly. Uh, and then it was. It was poor on the field, and then your starting QB got hurt. <laughs> so I agree. I, it seems like the Cowboys are cooked. Um, you mentioned them. I think the other big storyline for me um, coming out of the week, uh, it's kind of two games all fold into each other. The one is... The Bills are the best team in the NFL. And uh, this obviously emerged from Thursday night uh, when they kicked the crap out of the defending champion Rams. That was an annihilation that could have been worse. The final score is 31 to 10. The Bills had four or five turnovers. Like, they were not careful with the ball at all, but it didn't matter. They doubled them up in yards. They just got whatever they wanted. Josh Allen does look really good. But then, Sunday afternoon, the Kansas City Chiefs go in to Arizona and just annihilate the Arizona Cardinals. And you know, I think that was a big response kind of to the Bills obviously, it was the only game on. It's the season opener on Thursday night. They destroy the defending champs. As Tim said, there's hot takes, there's radio shows on Friday that people can talk about. Uh, it was it was it was the the Bills were installed as the favorites to win the Super Bowl this season and it was, "Yep, they're going to roll to the Super Bowl." Patrick Mahomes, five touchdowns, Chiefs looked great just, against a Cardinals team who I don't love, but that, you know, this Cardinals team went to the playoffs last year. They should be an okay team. And they just got, just dominated. Chiefs dropped a bomb on them. And I think it was just kind of a a little rebuttal uh, to the the Bills, the Bills Mafia and Bills, uh, you know, Bill's praise. A reminder that the Chiefs have played in four consecutive NFC title games, and for my money are still the favorites to play in a fifth. So they still have Patrick Mahomes, they still have Andy Reid, they're still really good. And I, so I thought the, those two games kind of taken in tandem, I think for me, and then as a Ravens fan, you know, the, those are the teams you're going to have to beat this season. Those are the two best teams in the AFC, uh, probably, based on what I think Antonio will get into in a moment was what the rest of the AFC North was up to, uh, which, you know, uh, was interesting. But, um, yeah, for me, these are the two teams atop the AFC, and I think that's the big storyline for week. I
2: I just want to jump in just a little bit on the Chiefs, because I think it is funny that this narrative of, like, Mahomes is going to be pissed off because nobody's talking about them. Like, that was when Tyreek Hill got traded and everybody (laughs) kind of hit the panic button. But then we... I think every smart person came back to earth and was like, no, this is still the chiefs and it's still Andy Reid, And it's still Patrick Mahomes who is probably the most talented quarterback to ever play the position. Sorry, people that wanted to give Lamar $300 million guaranteed. I, I just, I don't know. And I get it. I'm sure there was enough. They were like, the chiefs are probably dead now that Tyree kills not there. But you listen to enough stuff, and maybe because I'm just an absolute sicko, I listen to most football stuff. I, I probably listen to like eight hours of football podcast radio content uh, from Friday through Sunday, and then <laughs> has spent all of Monday when I'm not doing my own job, which is listening to radio shows, listening to football podcasts <laughs> and radio shows about football stuff because football's great. Um, so maybe I've just heard it from from enough sources. But did anybody really doubt that the Chiefs were going to be, you know, this superstar team? All that being said, what they did on Sunday was still incredibly impressive, where they went, F you, we are still the Chiefs. And, yeah, look, I think the Cardinals are a playoff team, but – or, excuse me, they were a playoff team last year, Jace, I agree. But I think that team is significantly worse than the team that we saw last year. And if they don't start hot, we know they don't finish hot because the new Warzone map (laughs) is going to drop in October. We've got – they've got some serious, serious problems. And just – I feel like the Chiefs – Chose
3: to trade Tyreek Hill. They didn't have right. like some sort of horrible thing happen to them to where they were in a worse position. They made the sort of like educated statistical decision that this was the right time to like trade him to get you know picks. I think they may have gotten younger and like faster defensively too, which was something they needed to address. Uh, yeah, they're going to be fine. Um, from a Ravens perspective, sure they need to deal with the Bills and the Chiefs, but before that point. They need to deal with the teams in the uh, AFC North. And these are the teams that I'm going to be talking about today. Very quickly, Browns beat the Panthers. Uh, I, you know, I'm annoyed because I don't like the Browns. And they really sh- could have, should have, would have. But uh, some things happened late to where maybe they shouldn't have had an opportunity to kick a game-winning field goal in that game. But I'm going to move on to the other game that I want to talk about. i got to, like, compose myself. i got to collect my <laughs> thoughts here. Steelers-Bengals. Uh, and I, I come in with a little bit of juice here because I had them in my, my tees, right? I had the three team tees that I sort of, that's the bread and butter. And that's what I said last week. I had the Ravens, uh, I had the Chiefs and I had the Bengals. Basically they just, those three teams needed to win. And I liked it from jump street and the Ravens took care of business. Was very comfortable that knowing that the Chiefs were going to take care of business, uh, in the four o'clock game, which of course they did. But in the one o'clock game, the Steelers beat the Bengals, um, In overtime, after Joe Burrow threw four four interceptions, Um, and it turns out that their kicker, McPherson, is not Justin Tucker. Uh, A lot of buzz last season as a rookie, as the second coming of Justin Tucker. He missed an extra point, and it was blocked, but I'm going to say that he missed it because he didn't kick it (laughs) high enough because it was an extra point in a game-winning situation. (laughs) In overtime, they got even closer, and he missed a field goal there that would have won him the game. And I'm just annoyed. Uh, I was I was angry. My friends were giving me a hard time because I was kind of like keeping up with that score as the Ravens game was going on. And this is on me. And I might have done this, but I I cheered when I saw on my phone that the Bengals had gotten a touchdown on the last play of regulation, basically. And so I did the fist pump because they were going to pull it off. They were going to get the one point win to cover the tees, and then the extra point didn't go in. And then anyway. So I have a few things to say about this. Aside from the fact that I will be bitter for about eight weeks because these are the only these are the exact kind of games that I have happened uh, in my gambling decision making. But first of all, from a Ravens perspective, T.J. Watt may have torn his pec. We don't know it quite yet as we're recording here. But if he did, he's out for the year, and he is the best player on their team, the best defensive player in the AFC North, certainly, much less the rest of the league, because he was the defensive player of the year last year. Him being out for a long time, I mean, you know, you don't like to see injuries, but that is going to hurt that team. Um, But the good, I don't know, I I wasn't scared of the Steelers. That's why I picked against them. And even with a win in Cincinnati, I'm still not scared of the Steelers because their quarterback is Mitch Trubisky. Uh, And this was a game that he had no business winning. And I have some information here. I have some stats to show you guys. Uh, some numbers from from how this game went. Oh boy, let me get the teams to see. I didn't collect. I didn't. wasn't composed with the stats in this game. First downs, the Bengals had thirty two. The Steelers had thirteen. Total plays, the Bengals ran ninety four plays on offense, and the Steelers ran sixty one. Total yards, the Bengals had four hundred and thirty two to the Steelers two hundred and sixty seven. However, the Bengals had five turnovers to the Steelers none. And the Steelers had seven sacks, one force fumble, and a touchdown scored defensively. And what do I take away from this game? Mitch Trubisky is not leading that team to wins. Their defense is going to have to do 50,000 things for them to be competitive in every game, and they're going to be worse off because of it. And I'm feeling better about, first of all, the Steelers being mediocre, if as long as Mitch Trubisky is their quarterback. And then I'm feeling good because, you know, in theory, a Ravens rival for the AFC North title starts the season 0 1 when they absolutely should have been 1 0. Last thing on Trubisky, and it's just an incredible paragraph that I read from Bill Barnwell this morning on ESPN. Trubisky's 38 pass attempts generated just 194 yards. He had just five passing plays produce more than 10 yards. We're not talking air yards or just ten yards total. And of those five plays that got more than ten yards, they included a flea flicker, a screen to a tight end, a spectacular one-handed catch by Deontay Johnson on a poorly placed ball. These are Bill Barnwell's words, and a throw against the grain on a like on a free play where there was a penalty and that they knew it, and so Trubisky just sort of chucked it deep and that got more than ten yards. He stinks. Their <laughs> offense is going to be bad. Their defense is not going to get seven sacks and five turnovers turn, turnovers every week. Um, and I'm feeling more comfortable about the Ravens' place uh, in the AFC North. The Chiefs, the Chiefs, I'm lost here. The Bengals have the Super Bowl <laughs> hangover. It started week one. It's going to continue. Uh, and the Ravens are going to win the North by three games. And that's, that's how I wow. feel. And that's how bitter I am about this stupid tease yeah, I that mean, I should have had.
1: I feel bad uh. for your bet. You should have won it, um. But I do agree. This is a good result in the end for the Ravens. I was rooting for the tie because elsewhere in the NFL, the Colts and Texans had tied minutes before, and I was just hoping for two ties. With
3: the same score. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes. I I was desperately rooting for it. But, um, yeah, I think this is a good result because the Steelers, I think, are clearly worse than the Bengals. And the Bengals lost this game because Burrow, who... You know, he didn't play preseason, but he really had less of a preseason than any of these stars because he had an appendectomy during training camp. So he, he missed a huge por- uh, portion of training camp uh, recovering from his uh, surgery. Um, So, you know, good for him that he's healthy to go for the regular season. But the rust clearly showed. The Bengals line doesn't seem 100% great. Now the Steelers do have, you know, had, if he's hurt, the best defensive line like end in the nfl and cameron hayward's been underrated every year of his career um so you know i I do think it's good uh and i don't even think you mentioned antonio the the missed field goal in overtime was a 29 yarder on third and one they kicked on third down i believe instead of attempt to get more yards because
3: um, McPherson stinks. Yeah. They're blaming Ryan. They're blaming the snap because he had well, to hesitate. <laughs> it's a 30-yard field goal. You can do it with your eyes closed. Butker yeah. did a 50-yarder on one leg standing still. <laughs> like, you can't you tell me he can't kick a 30-yard field goal?
1: Yeah, they, oh, they yeah. had snapping. At some point, their long snapper got hurt, and <laughs> so they had to go to an alternate snapper, and they blamed him, but... The amount McPherson missed that by was unacceptable even for laces in. You should hit a... As an NFL kicker, you should hit a 29-yard field goal uh, if you're as good as people say you are. But uh, even with the laces. But, yeah, I think this is a good result for the Ravens in the end because, yeah, the Steelers were thoroughly outplayed. The Bengals, I think, are clearly their better competition. Jamar Chase is still pro- going to be a huge problem. He was amazing in this game. You know, I Burrow... He threw, I believe, all four or at least three of his interceptions and one of his fumbles in the first half. And to be able to just come back from that, you know, he has a annoying level of, uh, you know, stick-to-itiveness and grit and able to flush things. And he's a good quarterback. uh, So I don't think he's going to throw four picks every week. But, uh, yeah, the Bengals are clearly the better team. And it's good for the Ravens that, that the Steelers won this game
2: never underestimate having justin tucker on your roster is the key takeaway here look at kickers around the league and just know you are blessed to have justin tucker on your team
3: yeah a lot of ma- the titans uh tubby kicker he missed a game winner i forget his <laughs> fat name. fat randy no, Rand- randy that's a randy bullock missed a- missed a game winner
1: after the Titans over chose to the lose yards, which was a big, which was fun. They they lost three yards in centering the ball, and then he missed it by about a foot. So, <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. Anything else on the NFL, guys? Before we turn to uh, back to the Ravens, got a got a vent out there. T- Tim is going to have to do a lot of work uh, editing all the <laughs> misstatements I made and yeah. wrong words. I'm, it's been a day. I'm still not over it. All right, Ravens at home hosting the Miami Dolphins. Ravens three and a half point. Favorites against Miami. Both teams 1-0. That half point is going to annoy us when we get to the gambling section. But let's start first with on the field. Ravens offense versus the Dolphins defense. We, I, I think all of us mentioned it at some point, but it's time for a true test for this offense. You know, this isn't those those Jets defenders. Um, Dolphins have some talent at every level uh, of their defense. So it's a test for Lamar. These receivers, can we get this running game going? Is likely going to catch his first NFL official pass. Thoughts on the Ravens' offense going up against this Miami Dolphins defense?
1: Yeah, I it's hard to know what to make, and it's weird because we we saw this game last year and it went very poorly for the Ravens. It was, I think, kind of the canary in the coal mine of many ways of the collapse that was to come. Uh, midseason, The Ravens were kind of rolling. They play a Thursday night game uh, in, in Miami and their offense does nothing. They, you know, they lose 22 to 10 and that 10 and the touchdown didn't come till late. They just, they put nothing together, but you know, Brian Flores is not the coach anymore. And so I don't know that has to matter. I think a little bit. Um, I, I think the dolphins looked good on uh sunday but the patriots are a team that also has their own problems <laughs> um so it, it's hard to know what to make too much of it i'm not super optimistic about them getting their running game uh going in this game i think it's going to be a lot on lamar and as you mentioned you know Xavier howard is one of the best cornerbacks in the nfl uh, don't throw him multiple interceptions or something like that uh so so I have some concerns. I do think as you said, true test of like what this game will or like what this team can be. And I think it's just going to have to be a lot of Lamar because I don't I don't see, you know, the running situation work getting better. The Dolphins have a good line. Christian Wilkins is a great player uh, on their line and one of their leaders and I I'm just, I'm not super optimistic. Uh, it's, it's still hard to know. You know, they didn't look fantastic, but they mostly kept the Ravens under wraps and they had a defensive score. So, uh, you know, if it's, if, if, they, if it's more of the same from last year, Ravens might be in trouble.
2: Yeah, I think, so it's funny. I, I wrote that point down too when we were putting the rundown together of, oh, Brian Flores is gone. But what I didn't know, and I was listening to some other stuff today, Mike McDaniel kept the entire defensive staff for that team outside of Brian Flores, who was the head coach and a defensive whiz, they know how to stop Lamar Jackson. They've done it a couple of times after the big blowout in 2019, obviously the MVP season and the opening game. Um, So that is definitely a concern. Uh, I think the running game, I'm with Jace. I kind of feel like we're going to get Kenyon Drake 15 times for 47 yards, you know, something like that. And it's going to be a lot of Lamar having to do, you know, something about, about, Either quelling it with his legs or even more with his arm, I would love to say, can Greg Roman come up with a different plan, but no, he won't, so that you know you can just move on swiftly from that and also, you mentioned uh Xavier Howard, obviously the corner. I love uh Javon Holland, the safety that they got in the second round last year out of Oregon. He kind of tortured the Ravens. he played very well against them last season. He had another pick uh kind of on I can't remember who the corner was. It might have been Howard tipping the ball away from a patriots wide receiver and Holland being right there to make the play. Um, another guy to watch in that defensive secondary. If, in fact, the Ravens do have to throw the ball a lot, so you know, a bit of a worry.
1: Well, and in, in this just one final, I guess, thought on that. With the staff being the same, it makes me think this was like kind of the game last year where they were just blitzing the hell out of Lamar last year, and I feel like the Jets didn't do that a ton uh, in, in week one. I, you know, I didn't. It didn't seem like. Lamar it wasn't like the greatest line performance but Lamar didn't seem under constant duress but he might he might in this game and we might see the wheels a lot more as you were saying he might be running from necessity a lot more Antonio so um that'll be a thing to keep an eye on too he was sacked four times last year in their game where they just kept settling for field goal after field goal after field goal and um yeah I mean if they're able to ratchet up the pressure this year like they did last year and the Ravens proved that they're not better at stopping the blitz, whether that's Greg Roman's calls or Lamar himself or the line. Um, If they're just not able to handle it, 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 yeah, it could be a long day.
3: Yeah. Part of me from last year's game wants to think it was a stupid, one of those stupid Thursday night games where you haven't had enough time to prepare for something uh, that then kind of caught you off guard, uh, at least offensively defensively. They had like the two, what, two blown, coverages basically that both went for gigantic gainers and those were all the touchdowns that Miami had in the game they changed court you know quarterbacks halfway through because Brissett was hurt but actually just benched and then the game game plan changed or like which quarterback they had prepared for but then the other part of me is that if yeah if they couldn't figure out you know breaking the huddle five seconds earlier all off season for game one am I convinced that they spent the summer fixing how to address this Miami blitzing scheme by week two of the regular season I don't think so um do I think the offensive line is better than it was at that point last season yes Morgan Moses guess what we didn't hear a lot of Morgan Moses in week one so that's good that he played a fine right tackle uh I think McCary is kind of okay for this game because just be average just be mediocre he doesn't have to worry about snapping the ball over Lamar Jackson's head because he's playing left tackle <laughs> so he can just stay there um you know, somebody let J.K. out of the basement, like somebody unlocked, you know, unlocked the basement door and let him get a few carries, few screens. Screen plays are fine against the blitz. You know, getting the ball out quick is good against the blitz. Get Bateman out in space, but I'm concerned because a lot of the issues that they had all off season to fix immediately happened in week one. They're going to be home. That's different from last year's game. I mean, it just, I'm concerned, and I. Don't want to look ahead to the gambling section, but that three, that the half point is making me more and more worried uh, as I talk about this game and as I hear from you guys. Defensively, make me feel better defensively after the strong performance that we had from this team against the Jets. Are we going to see the same uh, in week two at home? Are we going to see our, our stars make even more plays? Or are we concerned that with Kyle Fuller out, uh, you know, Tua has these shiny new toys now with Tyreek Hill. He had Waddle last year as a rookie, obviously, but taking the leap to year two and Tyreek being the new superstar there. Is this a, is this a, a gigantic issue for this team or uh, can the defense just as a whole kind of tamp down and, and hold Miami enough times?
2: I mean, Tyreek Hill is a massive issue always. Yes. And I, I have, I think it's interesting. First of all, this stat just came across while we were recording a uh, Dan Pizzuta of sharp football analysis tweeted quote, the Ravens use dime, which is four defensive uh four cornerbacks, excuse me. So typically, Six defensive backs total uh, out of 11 players, obviously, so more than half. The Ravens used dime on nearly half their snaps against the Jets per true media, 47.6% of the time. The Chargers were the next highest team, 28.6%. So far and away used dime the most. Obviously, those three safeties, as we talked about, Um, leaving Patrick Queen is really the only linebacker out there who played every snap of the game last year or uh, last week, excuse me. I expect that to happen again uh, This, this season, or in this game against the Dolphins. You've got Tyree Kill. You've got Jalen Waddle. You've got Mike Gisecki. You've got just weapons all over the field for this Pats team. Chase Edmonds, who had four catches out of the backfield as well. Um, most and Cedric Wilson Jr. So they're going to rotate those running backs, just like Mike McDaniel did in San Francisco. So, yeah, I'm a bit concerned. Um, I'm concerned about Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey is a big physical corner. It's what he does best. Speed guys, not great, Bob. Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are both speed guys. Ken, who is Humphrey going to match up with? And how are they going to help corner number two on, we assume Brandon Stevens at this point, on whether it's Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddle. Do they just leave Humphrey on an island against the number two, a la what Bill Belichick used to do back in the day, and then really put two or three guys on Tyree Kill? It's going to be interesting to see how that happens, or how they kind of plan for that. My positives, though... A couple things. First of all, I I watched, you know, I had the game on red zone. I I went back and watched the highlights before we recorded today. It looks like the Patriots actually got some decent pressure on this Miami offensive line. I know they brought in Taron Armstead, the big left tackle signing, but outside of that, their offensive line was a massive problem last year, and they didn't really do a ton to address it. Uh, So I think that the Ravens should be encouraged by what they saw against the Jets, and hopefully it continues here. Second is Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams is your true deep safety center fielder type guy you know what that helps it helps take away the big play it was the thing that the Ravens were so bad at last year and they clearly wanted to address it with the best free agent on the market they did so and worked out in week one does he help limit the take the top off the defense speed of Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill I tend to think he does and I think that that's going to be something where they can kind of leave him there uh, out on an island by himself deep in center field, and that will kind of encourage or discourage, I should say, of Tungavailoa from throwing the ball that far if he can actually throw the ball that far. Watch out for on And so I, th- I think that those two factors there could, will help this, this offense. I also think that the, the Dolphins, it was a Super Bowl game for them. I think the Vikings against the Packers, which we didn't talk about, every podcast, every NFL podcast is talking about it. So if you want to, let, to hear about that game, literally listen to anything else. Uh, they that it was a Super Bowl game for the Minnesota Vikings, and they came out guns blazing against the uh, Green Bay Packers, and they won big. The Miami Dolphins, this was a Super Bowl game against the Patriots, where they had to prove that they were the second team in the AFC East behind the uh, the Buffalo Bills, and they did. And you know, part of that was Mike McDaniel putting everything on film. They they were it was up 13 with less than 2 minutes left and he's running a double fake run reverse to try and get a first down. And like I get it. That he's a very brilliant offensive mind and like, you know, you have to win when you show up in the Air Force 1s or whatever he did in in week 1 like showing up with the the shiny new shoes and what have you. But I almost kind of feel a little bit of a letdown game here from the Dolphins as well. Uh, because of that, they threw everything into this week 1 win. They're feeling really good about it. Let's knock them down to earth a little bit, huh? It it encourages me so
1: much that this game is at home because I feel like the actual football I have, <laughs> I do have concerns about you know, Tua. He last year's game was so weird; it is almost worth discounting. But Tua does do things, obviously, that Flacco, Joe Flacco, cannot do, which is namely move slightly. Uh, so I think he'll be able to get away more, and I think we just need to kind of help prevent that. We just need more from the edge, especially Adafio. I I think he needs to step up big. I was encouraged, um, you know, the Ravens did manage to lock up Tyreek Hill last year when the Ravens and Chiefs played. They held him in that game to three receptions for 14 yards, so they have at least a formula For him now, part of that, I think, also involved the now-departed Anthony Everett, prominently involved in probably covering him. Um, so, who knows if they could take anything from that experience. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... The Dolphins, I think, are going to be aggressive, Tim, as you kind of mentioned. Like, uh, on Jalen Waddell's touchdown, I believe it was fourth and seven. They went for kind of a lengthy fourth down. Um, not, like, especially, like, kind of in field goal range. Um... So, you know, it, it's it's just so hard to even though these teams just played last year, it's it's hard it's hard to imagine for me like what it'll be like because there's just been so much change. But I am encouraged by this game being at home, and I think that will certainly help the Ravens' defense because uh, obviously Baltimore is a hard place to play. Uh, and I, I like your idea of it being a Super Bowl game too for the Dolphins. You know that the Patriots are still, you know, even if the Bills are the better team, Patriots are the team to beat in the AFC East uh, for their dominance. And I, I, you know, Mike McDaniel on the road, his first road game in the NFL. Um, it's going to be a hard environment for them to operate in, and they historically have great success against the Dolphins in Baltimore. Um, and so I think they will find a way to slow down. I don't know. Do you want me to just jump into my pick or yeah, go for I, it. I picked the Ravens minus 3.5. I do think, you know, even though I am slightly, you know, worried about some of the things we, we talked about with this defense, um, being able to hold up versus what could be a dynamic attack. I think there's still just too many questions with the dolphins themselves. Um, and, and I think the Ravens have room to improve. So I think they'll find a way to get it done. I am taking it minus 3.5, even though I'm almost positive they'll end up winning by three points. And <laughs> it will be a Dolphins winner gambling-wise at the end, but I am picking the Ravens in this game. Yeah, the last
3: section to talk about was just going to be intangibles, you know, the coaching, the special teams aspect of this, and, and that's what's going to help push me to taking the Ravens even with that extra half point. I'm saying t- tread carefully, uh, you guys, you guys out there who, who take our predictions, you know, financially seriously. Be, be careful out there with that half point, but there's so much hype with the new coach week 1. They have all the time to prepare. A lot we've we've sort of circled this a lot already, but then it's week 2 and then you got to go on the road and now now you're in the swing of the NFL regular season and you're going up against a team that is the exact opposite of that, where Harbaugh's been there, done that. He's had to do the week two quick turnaround, you know, compared to how much time you have to prep for that first game. He's done it 15 times, so, like, he knows he knows how it is. The game is at home. We have Justin Tucker on our team. We have Jordan Stout on our team. Had a great game, great game. as a rookie punter. I, there's, like, the small concern. I made the joke last week that his first punt, he was going to be nervous. He was booming them. He pinned them inside the twenty multiple times. I think he had a like a 64-yard punt at a certain point. He looked great, and I think it's all these little things. We make one less mistake uh, in this game at home, uh, and that ends up being enough for the Ravens win by let's you know, let's say six or seven, uh, and and quote unquote comfortably uh, cover this game. So I'm taking them. Tim, uh, what are your thoughts on those sort of special teams intangibles? Yeah, you know, hard to calculate statistics. Uh, Paired with your, your pick for this game.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was that um, it was the Flores stuff, even though it's the same defensive staff. So I think that's interesting. How do Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson adjust that? Uh, Jace mentioned the home angle, I think, is huge. Um, and both defenses were really, really good in week one. But they both, frankly, played horrid offenses. The Patriots were Abysmal. Who'd have thought that if you don't actually name an offensive coordinator and you spend $75 million on receiving options and none of them are a true number one, that it wouldn't work out. Weird. Mac Jones is not that good either. But, you know, we'll talk about that next week on Pod Like a Raven. Um, those are all my intangibles. I'm very much with everybody here. I think if you can buy it down to two and a half, I, would, I think the juice is worth the squeeze there. The hook scares me at three and a half but I'm taking the Ravens minus three and a half. Why not? I kept flip-flopping back and forth, but I just think that, I think they're going to be too strong at home. I think the home opener, I think people are going to be really jacked up for this game there. Um, and, and, and you know, a 1-0 team going, trying the possibility of 2-0, and then you get the, all the percentages about teams that make the playoffs off 2-0, what have you. I think the Ravens need it. Give me Ravens minus three and a half uh, at home to the Dolphins.
3: All right, I'm going to run through my other... Picks for the week. 2-1 last week. Uh, off to a good start. <sighs> Could have been 3-0, oh, but we move on. We move on from that. Got the Ravens pick. Uh, got the Vikings pick as well and then lost the teaser. This week, Ravens minus 3.5. agree so much with Tim about seeing if he can buy that down 2.5. I'm doing another teaser because I'm not afraid. Uh, And there's three teams. First of all, yeah, let's back up a little bit. Week two for me, I'll let my co-hosts agree or disagree. Week two for me is always a disaster. Um, You know, there's all the, like, too much panic mode, too much confidence for certain teams. The lines are all skewed. I end up, like, overcorrecting and readjusting, and then I get crushed week two. So maybe ignore me uh, in week two outside of the Ravens pick. But I'm going to do another three-team teaser, and it's three teams that all kind of have the same thing in common. They're all currently 10-point favorites, They're all at home, and they're all playing bad teams. I do not love 10 points. That is a disaster, especially when, you know, the Bears score first against the Packers, and all of a sudden, you know, you have so much ground to make up. So instead, I'm teasing all three of these better teams down to four, and one of them is Green Bay. I think they just rebound. I think they figure stuff out. They're playing the Chicago Bears. The Bears aren't very good. They had sort of this rainy slop fest against a young quarterback and were able to, you know, win ugly. I don't think they're able to do that in Green Bay, so teasing the Packers from 10 down to 4. Broncos country, let's ride. We haven't even, as we record this, we haven't ridden yet. Uh, We haven't seen (laughs) them play Seattle, but I'm still comfortable in this game being moved to 4 points at home against the Houston Texans, who were a little splashy in week 1, which is why I'm teasing this down to 4. Denver at home. That crowd is going to be fired up for their home opener. And then Buffalo, who looked really good In week one, they're 10 point favorites uh, at home against the Titans. I'm taking that down to four. So, Packers, Broncos, Bills, all with four point lines. And then just because it's week two, I don't even like this. I don't really agree with it. And I'm like, I'm fading myself here. Arizona is currently a five and a half point dog at Las Vegas. That number just stinks to me, it seems a little too high. Uh, Arizona, you know, they didn't look good against the Chiefs, but a lot of teams don't look good against the Chiefs. I think Las Vegas is always kind of in that, like, middle-of-the-road zone where you don't really know how good they are. are they a playoff team, are they not? And 5.5 and is just too much. I don't think Arizona goes in and beats the Raiders necessarily, but they lose this game by a field goal, uh, and you cover it with plus 5.5, and, and those are my three very frightened week two picks and then we're going to move forward next week. And that's when we're really going to really going to
2: hit our stride. Yeah. I'll just go quickly here. Uh, As I mentioned before, I'll shout out Jace. Podlicker. Raven fantasy team is one to know in the UK fantasy uh, fantasy draft when we start losing, I will never mention it again. So don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, I was three and two last week, went all over the board. I got Ravens uh, with that win. I got the Steelers. I was uh, the Steelers was my favorite bet of the day. I think I just knew that was coming. Sorry, Antonio. (laughs) And then won the Chargers minus four lost. The Rams, uh, and then lost the Green Bay bet um, uh, away. So I'll start away uh, oh, to Minnesota. I will start with Minnesota. I know it's a primetime game, and I know Kirk Cousins doesn't love primetime, but the line currently is Vikings plus one and a half away to the Philadelphia Eagles. I just, I, Philly let up 35 points to the Lions and now have to go up against Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, and, and, and the like, and, I'm with I'm with Antonio. Week two is a weird like I looked at this board and I hated every line because it's a weird of what did we think going into the season mixed with what are expectations how much have they shifted from week one so I wouldn't really touch any of these with official money at all but I think Vikings plus one and a half away to Philly I think both of those teams are on the same level so give me the points is essentially what I'm going here and again this Philly team like they're good. I know they're good, and we haven't talked about them at all, but 38-35 to the Lions. Like, you let the Lions back into the game, and the Lions are going to be that team, you know, all year, I think, you know, losing close games and going, like, 2-15. and 15, But, you know, they're <laughs> competitive at every single one, and that's fine. But I don't know. That, that, doing my glance at the – at the and by the time we get to Sunday, or I believe it might be a Monday night, Monday night game. By the time we get to it, I might change my mind. Um, Because I I like the Eagles, but I like the Vikings, too. I picked the Vikings over in our over-under podcast. So plus one and a half, I just think, is just not enough. uh, Excuse me. Teams are even. Give me the points. And then I'm going again. I'm going back to the well with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Plus one at home to the New England Patriots, which is crucial for me. Uh, Again, another one where I think these two teams are kind of on the same level. I'm not ready to kill the Patriots yet. I, I don't think that would be smart by anybody's stretch of the imagination. They looked horrendous against the Miami dolphins. And I don't think they're going to look that bad, but the Steelers win games at home and they win stupid games that they're not supposed to. So if they're going to be a a dog, a home dog, I know it's Mitch Trubisky. I know they look bad. Give me the Steelers plus one at home to new England.
1: I don't hate that either. Even though it annoys
2: me. I mean, I'd hate it because if it actually came true, the Pats would be and two, and then would absolutely beat us in week three, but that's not something we have to talk about. (laughs)
1: Two that uh, A few that just caught my eye is the Saints are plus three at home to the Buccaneers. Uh, The Saints have not lost to Tom Brady in the regular season uh, since he got to Tampa Bay. Seems notable. Uh, And the Bucs scored one touchdown. So maybe keep an eye on that one. The other one, uh, the New York Giants, I know they won. They're favored by two and a half points. Absolutely not. Even if it's the Panthers, the Giants should not be favored in a game. Uh, So maybe keep an eye on that. But my official picks are the Kansas City Chiefs. Three and a half point favorites at home at Arrowhead Stadium against the Los Angeles Chargers. I know the Chargers and have you know beaten the Chiefs in Arrowhead in the past. I don't see this them losing this game. I, I I think the Chargers, you know, the Chargers were kind of dying to give away that game <laughs> to, the, to the Raiders. They easily could have blown it, and uh, really the reason they the reason they won is Derek Carr threw three interceptions uh, and kind of sunk the Raiders was turnovers um, in the end. And so I, I think the chargers are good. I wasn't super impressed with them. Uh, like they can beat the chiefs, but I just, you know, the chiefs dropped that week one performance. Are they just going to lay an egg at home uh, in Arrowhead, especially coming off their last game, which was laying an egg in the MC title game. They're probably pissed off about that. Uh, so I think it's going to be loud. Uh, it's a Thursday night game too. It's a short week. Um, so it's this Thursday night. Al Michaels will be on the call on Amazon Prime. Have to figure out how to sign into that. Uh, it's gonna be a. It's gonna be a. You saying Al
3: Michaels is gonna have to figure out how to no, sign me, uh... into that, or you? Because I think <laughs> they're both gonna be struggling situations. Also,
1: probably both. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting. But I, I just I don't see a world where the Chiefs lose this game. So I'm picking the Chiefs. Um, and then I am circling back to Antonio. One you teased down because while I do think the Buffalo Bills win the game. This is a complete overreaction to the Titans losing in week one. They didn't even play that bad. Like, they blew it, kind of. Uh, You know, Vrabel had some horrendous clock management late. Like, they should have beat the Giants. They called a timeout. They burned their their last timeout to avoid a delay of game towards midfield. And then they lose three yards to attempt the game-winning field goal to center the ball. I, I think the Titans just kind of mismanaged things in the end. And, like, they weren't great. They only scored 20 points, but... This is, they lost to the Giants, so everyone said, oh, the Titans must be terrible. They didn't play that horribly. And it's not inconceivable that they get Derrick Henry uh, rolling. And, you know, he didn't have a great game one, but maybe he goes off, he gets, you know, 120, 130 in this game. I I just think, even if I think the Bills will win, I think the Titans can cover this. The Titans won this game last year, uh, and I I think the Titans will cover. Um, I just think it's too many points for what is still a good team. Titans aren't a great team. They're not going to be the number one seed in the AFC like they were last year. But uh, I think it's just a disrespectful line, frankly. Like, they're not that bad. They shouldn't be a 10-point underdog on the road. So I'm kind of, I'm, t- I'm picking the Titans even though I think the Bills win this game.
3: Yeah, you wonder if their. are uh, I mean, this is a little mean, but if their fat Randy field goal <laughs> goes in, like, is this line 8 instead of 10? Just because it's a foot <laughs> in one direction. So, I, yeah, I, I kind of like that. Which is why I teased it down, because uh, <laughs> 10 was too big. Okay, last thing to do. Tim, you got a doozy for us of a random Raven. Can you read us those clues one more time?
2: Yeah, again, shout out to a co-worker and friend of mine, Andy Snikovsky, for this beautiful, beautiful mention. Uh, clue number one, this player played for 11 seasons in the NFL with four different teams. He spent one season in Baltimore. Clue number two, this University of Utah product spent two seasons in Miami before moving to the Orlando Thunder of the World League of American Football before returning back to the NFL in 1994. Number three, this player ranks third all-time in passing yards for an NFC North team, and he also ranks 23rd in career passing yards for the Ravens with 236 passing yards. Uh, if I, I believe Lamar probably supplanted that. Joe Flacco definitely did uh yesterday in one game so that's that's we did let's see oh no 213 yards for lamar jackson so never mind he's getting close though clue number four this player wore the same number that joe flacco now wears with the jets and clue number five and i just wrote here's a sentence quote after not being able to acquire brad johnson from the minnesota vikings the ravens settled for this random raven who signed a one-year three million dollar contract upon his arrival in baltimore he completed 24 of 56 passes for 236 yards, a touchdown pass, and four interceptions before Stony Case replaced him as starting quarterback <laughs> during the third quarter of a 23-20 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in a week two home opener at PSINet Stadium on September 19th. Gentlemen, who is this random rave?
1: Do you want me to go ahead and tell I have a
3: name. Well,
2: I'm, I'm annoyed because I'm going to,
3: like, know it after the fact, but – you know, guys, I had a long weekend, all right? So there's there's not a lot of, like, recollection you going on right you now. You shouldn't
2: be doing shotguns post-30. Like, that's that's your own fault. That, we all know that's your own fault. Uh, so, Jace, please, please. I was thinking me.
1: of guys who played for the Lions and Bears because they are bad NFC North teams who, you know, the Packers' top three are actually good quarterbacks. So uh, I was thinking, I th- at first I thought Eric Kramer, but I don't think he ever played for the Ravens. So the name I landed on is the lefty himself, Scott Mitchell.
2: Scott Mitchell is the random Raven. Congratulations, Jace. (laughs) If we pull this up, yeah. Number one in passing yards, Matt Stafford with 45,109 passing yards. And then it takes a, dick, a dip. Excuse me, Bobby Lane, number two, with fifteen thousand seven hundred and ten yards. Bobby, so almost he in the fifties, almost thirty thousand less. He played from nineteen fifty 1950 to nineteen fifty-eight, and then good old number three, Scott Mitchell. Twelve thousand six hundred and forty-seven yards in four seasons with the Lions. I was gonna say
1: he I was like I was like if he got there in ninety four and he was on the Ravens by the late nineties, how long he could have been there, QB that
2: long. I mean, <laughs> I can safely say I don't Charlie Batch is ninth all time in Lions history in passing yards. The the legend that is John Kitten is in here. Joey Harrington. I mean it's it's
1: and we talk about the Ravens QBs. The Lions are an 80-year-old franchise. It is they even more atrocious.
2: <laughs> uh, Dan Orlovsky ranks 27th for the team. Uh, Dante Culpepper, who played for – he would be the random Lions. <laughs> who ranks 29th with 1,731. So, hell of a list there to dive in. But, yes, yeah, Scott Mitchell is your random Raven this week.
3: That is fantastic. Uh, guys, look, Ravens undefeated. 1-0. Looking to continue, home opener. It's very exciting. It's another 1 p.m. Ga- 1 p.m. game. We love those. Uh, for all you listeners going to the game, have fun. Be loud. Make fun of Tua's arm and accuracy problems, and and affect that because we're gonna need a little help in that in that department this week. For Tim Horsey and j Sevens, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us. On Pod like a raven. We will see you next week.